it's Alex. Thanks for downloading the first episode of the new Youth and Education podcast series, CFEY Live. We'll be giving you a sneak peek into the most interesting aspects of research we are carrying out at the Centre for Education and Youth, and providing the chance to hear directly from practitioners and young people involved in the projects. We hope you enjoy listening. Hi, I'm Vanessa. Welcome to the first episode of the CFEY Live podcast series. In this episode, I speak to my colleague Baz about the latest project he's been working on with Chester Zoo to shape up their internal strategy and improve conservation education in schools. We're also thrilled to be joined by Nick Buckley, Conservation Education and Engagement Manager at Chester Zoo, who will share with us more about the work they're doing and how it fits into the wider work going on at Chester Zoo. I hope you enjoy. Hi Baz, hi Nick, it's great to have you both with us today. So Baz, I know you've been working um, with Chester Zoo recently, looking at conservation education um, and also how the quality of it can be improved. Would you mind kicking us off and telling us a little bit about this project that you're working on? Yeah, so I think it's pretty routine to see like in the press uh, calls for there to be more education on climate change in schools. Um, I think even just like last week there was a letter an open letter from all the major unions making just such a call. But it's much rarer to see calls for uh, conservation and the preservation of biodiversity, which is also a really important ecological issue to be uh, called on, to be more prominent in the curriculum and to be better taught. And I guess that's what we've been working on with Chester Zoo is we've been in the sort of the very early research and development stage of uh, mapping out exactly what just such a strategy, just such a campaign for increasing the prominence and quality of biodiversity teaching in schools and conservation education in schools would look like. So what we've been doing is we've been trying to understand uh, what would need to change in order to uh, increase that prominence and increase that quality of teaching. Uh, what are the kind of levers that we need to pull? Who are the people that we need to speak to? Uh, what, how should we orient our messaging campaign towards different groups? Um, and naturally, Chester Zoo felt like the perfect partner to work on something like this with being such a prominent site of conservation education in the UK. And the output of that report has been a uh, a kind of very high level strategy for Chester Zoo to use moving forward to help uh, increase the impact of its conservation education campaigns and also generally improve the uh, quality of conservation education in schools in England. Mm, that sounds really interesting yeah I think we've all heard quite a lot about the environment but I don't know if I've heard particularly a lot about conservation education um it's quite a new topic to me um so I'd imagine um yeah it's something people probably don't think about as much but it's definitely something that's quite important um Nick where um we're lucky enough to also be joined by Nick from Chester Zoo, um, who's working on this project with Baz. Um, Nick, I know you've done a lot of work on conservation um, and particularly kind of engaging various um, groups and getting them to kind of get more involved in conservation education. What would you say is exciting about this project that you're doing with CFEY? 
Thanks, Vanessa. Um, to, to kind of give a little bit of a background, um, Chester Zoo has been doing a huge amount of conservation education work for many, many years. Um, and we run our conservation education through so many different uh, ways of engaging schools, whether that's uh, in zoo workshops, so using the zoo as a, an inspiring space, outreach workshops, so going into our schools, getting kind of stuck into those school environments and then more recently through um, kind of virtual platforms thanks to the the recent pandemic uh, that's been accelerated um, so kind of generally on the whole kind of in a normal year we're, we're engaging with over 130,000 kind of education visitors um, visits hosted at the zoo each year so we've got a huge audience that we currently engage with um, and we have um, obviously a wide variety of fantastic zoo educators that really inspire and engage our, our pupils, our students, our people who are involved and get engaged with us. Um, but we know there is lots of research out there that there's the benefits to conservation education for schools and for pupils. So it's it's kind of thinking of the pupils themselves, but actually um, the schools as a whole and those teachers. And we absolutely believe um, that's, that children should have that opportunity to take conservation action and for that to be a normal core part of their kind of school-based education um, and will eventually help and empower them to live more sustainably. Um, so we've kind of got a really big ethos um, and a huge strategy about empowering young people through changing their school curriculum um, and that kind of goes through lots of different strands from teacher input, that practical resources, training they need to feel confident and have those tools to kind of embed conservation, um, but also kind of researching into how teaching conservation can benefit the schools, the pupils, the teachers and kind of wider society. Um, and obviously we uh, went on, took on board this project um, and approached the team to really help us develop a detailed plan as to how we're going to be enabled to kind of reach those, um, do that advocacy, basically. How are we going to reach those teachers? How are we going to kind of create that change in the sector to embed conservation um, across the curriculum? Um, identify, essentially, I'm, and I'm excited to, to find out, and I've been reading through the report, had a brief look through it, identifying those new contacts. Where can we influence? How can we use our public affairs team? And what are those kind of key drivers for um, education policy and how can we use um, ourselves as a, a leading zoo charity to kind of help help make that change. So really interested to see kind of what are those big policy developments, who are those contacts. We've had some really interesting uh, people round on the round table um, and it's just brilliant to see that list evolving and kind of see what what we're going to get out of this and um, it's actually been nice to see that all the suggestions and the way we're going um, it's actually what we were hoping for we're, we're not kind of on a sideline we're not going off track um, it's definitely something and I'm really excited to see how this will shape kind of the direction of our programs. So Nick one of the things that you mentioned was kind of the importance of teaching um, about conservation what would you say are kind of the main benefits and have you found any new benefit, um, benefits through the research that you've been doing with CFEY? I mean, there is a huge amount um, 
there's a huge amount of research that exists and exists and it's a growing body of work about those benefits to young people um there is lots of things around obviously mental health and that connection to nature is a huge part but also looking ahead um we know the biodiversity crisis the climate change crisis that will be it's not going to disappear and it's going to be a part of young people kind of growing up and getting them prepared for when they go into their working lives as they grow on their careers it needs to just be embedded within their lives it's not just a, a career that you would choose it needs to be a part of young people's lives and we need to do that in a really productive way um, that doesn't evoke any fear it doesn't feel kind of um unachievable it needs to be um we need to create this kind of sense of agency with young people and give them the right tools um and energy and time to, to allow them to to kind of create those create those kind of their own identity and kind of work forward towards what where they want to be and um, i mean our conservation education programs are very much a big part of our mission um you were talking earlier about that term conservation education whereas we often hear it's very much in the um the draft climate change education strategy it's it's all about kind of climate change but there's this much wider we've got our climate crisis and we've got our biodiversity crisis as well and our mission at, at the zoo is very much about preventing extinction and absolutely fundamental to that is inspiring people to to care about and to take action for the for the natural world um, and as I said already through our education programs and activities with young people um, it all helps go towards our kind of conservation mission um, last year we, we launched our conservation master plan and we are aiming to obviously help um, make a significant contribution in towards uh, kind of the global extinction crisis and what's going on around the world. And one of our big targets is about empowering 10 million people to live more sustainably. So this project very much feeds into that. Um, we absolutely believe that conservation is a core theme across conservation curriculum subjects. It can be taught um, across subjects. Um, and we want to we want to empower young people to make that difference in the world and, and ensure that the school curriculum really, really supports that. Um, we have in the past, um, through our research and through anecdotal feedback, we know that teachers participating in various different projects have very much um, reported um, a positive change in their conservation efficacy. They've seen kind of uh, pupils' attention and well-being. Um, their approaches have, have significantly increased um, and that we do have the tools. We've got these models that we have applied before um, to help empower these teachers um, to inspire their students and kind of create this really positive ethos throughout the school. Um, most recently, kind of our, our biggest model that we kind of refer to is our Ignite um, zoo model which where we've worked for the past five years with ignite teaching school alliance which essentially is this kind of quite intense program repeat program with with schools where we deliver professional development um, to teachers school leaders um, essentially enabling them to kind of redevelop their school curriculum around our own zoo campaigns um, and it's absolutely fantastic seeing those 
schools, um, pupils, teachers really coming together, using these curriculum, these real world issues um, to absolutely drive forward their curriculum and use it absolutely beyond science and geography um, and use it across there. So we know we've got these these models that um, have been have proven really beneficial to these schools. And we're really keen to kind of grow that and particularly our work with secondary schools is something that we really want to do. So what's quite clear from this, um, from looking at Chester Zoo and some of the work you've been doing um, with CFEY is the importance of getting young people involved. Um, but at the same time, one of the things that's quite clear um, at the moment is schools are quite pressed, um, particularly for time and resources. So how do you think we can support schools to embed these real world issues into pupil learning, um, particularly when there is a lot of pressure on schools to catch pupils up? Baz, I might pass to you. So I think one of the, uh, as, as is frequently the case in, uh, in English education, um, uh, there's already lots of great practice out there. It's just that being in such a decentralized, evolved system, it's quite difficult to uh, join the dots on it and pull it all together to communicate as part of a, uh, uh, a singular kind of thing that all teachers and, and pupils can access. Uh, so a good example of this is that when we... Uh, we're doing desk research for the Chester Zoo project. We found that there were lots of resources already out there um, on conservation um, by uh, conservation-oriented uh, uh, charities, um, but that frequently they were just little sort of like one-shot kind of like worksheets um, that were largely about uh, the kind of the the focus of that charity itself and those resources weren't themselves necessarily tailored to either the national curriculum or to the um, exam specifications of the major exam boards at key stage four um, so that lack of mapping was possibly like one challenge whereby uh, if it were to be resolved we could produce a lot more resources that are a lot better suited to the needs of teachers and students uh, another thing is that, as I say, lots of one-shot worksheets rather than things being uh, lesson resources being stitched together into, you know, coherent schemes of work and actual curricula, which, again, is a barrier to teachers adopting them because teachers don't tend to teach solo, silo little uh, isolated lessons about things, right? They teach like a mm -hmm. curriculum. So that was clearly like one, area, one issue we identified uh, that, if resolved, could... Um, uh, produce conservation education resources that would be much more useful for schools. Um, I think another uh, opportunity I think we recognised um, is with the current uh, reforms to uh, teacher training. Uh, lots of teacher training centres are having to go for reaccreditation at the moment, um, and also the introduction of the early career framework. We also identified uh, an opportunity to try to include more uh, conservation education um, uh, instruction in initial teacher training um, and this is crucial because uh, there's 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 a lot of conservation education CPD out there right like that teachers can access you know uh, in the middle of their career but it's really crucial to try and get teachers uh, early on in their career when they're sort of forming their professional identity uh, if you get the mid-career then you're basically just going to uh, be preaching to the converted, you're going to be recruiting the same people who are already really interested in conservation education. And if you really want to be reaching new uh, teachers uh, and converting new teachers, then you want to be starting to do that uh, early on in their career. And the current uh, changes to teacher education policy uh, offer an opportunity for that to happen. So it's identifying that there's lots of different kind of routes 
to uh, increasing the prominence and quality of conservation education and trying to um, spread one's resources across all of those routes. Mm, that's fascinating. Yeah. So something about kind of tailoring resources and making sure what teachers do have access to is actually useful to them and kind of works within the curriculum that they already have. Um, Nick, does this kind of chime in with any of the work that you've done or kind of your experience through working with schools? Or would you say there's anything else that needs to be done to kind of support teachers in embedding this in their learning? Yeah, I think exactly what Baz said around um, what's been identified in terms of that provision and that support in early teacher training is something we are very much interested in and will be obviously hoping to take forward after we've obviously got this report now. Um, I think the other side of it as well, I mean, we, we're all fully aware that there are so many pressures within the education system at the moment um, and on teachers themselves to deliver what we would normally call core subjects. Um, There is so much pressure and um, obviously there's a lot at the moment in terms of pupils catching up. However, we feel we are really well placed. Um, We often forget that that time in nature, that connection to nature is also really important for mental health, uh, sorry, mental health and well-being, um, which is a huge focus for young people in schools at the moment who are going through a lot. There's still a lot that's happened, particularly over the last couple of years. And actually that time in nature and that connection and kind of making sure that journey in nature and those opportunities to engage in nature are positive, um, it can be used as a, a really good way to support learning in it kind of a di- from a different perspective. It's, yes, we've got that, kind of got that academic learning, but we've also got that mental well-being um, as well. So there's kind of um, lots to think about. I think the, there are lots of conversations around kind of teachers kind of awareness, very much awareness of the environment um, is high, um, but knowledge is quite often local. Um, So that understanding of kind of modern environmental issues like biodiversity, sustainable development and and climate change is often quite, quite limited. Um, And so I think exactly what Baz said, making that kind of shift to um, making sure that those teachers at an early stage are really well supported and I guess making sure that our resources are easy to access and really really clearly signposted there is a huge amount out there there's lots of platforms with a huge amount of resources and lots of one-off resources um, we've created a number of huge kind of curriculum toolkits which are linked to our campaigns so we have sustainable palm oil um, curriculum toolkit which include not only kind of your print off resources but they will include your lesson plans um, all of those schemes of works which is what Baz was talking about and I think this is a really big focus for us kind of moving forward making sure that there's a real kind of journey for those teachers to take with us so that they're kind of not isolated and that they really take their learners on a journey and they feel that they've got the tools and they've got everything they need to kind of make that work. Hmm. One of the things you said that are quite interesting is kind of the importance of um, being in the environment to well-being. I think that's something a lot of us take for granted. Um, I know for me I often would just spend days and days inside and not really get outside. Um, 
and I've made like a real push over the last couple of weeks to just like get out and literally smell the fresh air and have a look at the flowers and just kind of immerse myself a bit more and I definitely think it has like a huge benefit to my mental health um and it just makes my day flow a lot nicer um I think often in modern society we can just get so wrapped up in the day-to-day pressures of stuff that we um tend to forget about stuff like that um it actually brings me on quite nicely to the next topic so my colleague Alex recently held a research chat looking at um, young people's mental health um, and also kind of the impact that the environment has on it um, looking at research focusing on issues such as eco-anxiety um, for those of you that may have not heard of that before it's the chronic fear of environmental disaster which can cause mental health issues such as anxiety and depression um, and in one of the pieces she looked at um, it was research surveying over 10,000 sorry 10,000 young people aged 16 to 25 um, and some of the findings were quite worrying so for example they found that 59% of respondents were extremely worried or um, very worried about the um, environment and climate change. Um, and at least 84% were moderately worried. Um, it also found that 50% were sad, anxious and angry um, about the environment. Given these kind of statistics, which obviously are quite worrying, what do you think schools and um, organisations working in this space can, can do to make sure that young people feel empowered by learning about the environment and not powerless in certain respects. I might go to Nick first, if that's okay. Yeah, um, I I mean, as you've kind of already alluded to, um, that there's a rising awareness of of climate change and biodiversity crisis and lots of environmental issues and its impact, obviously, on our lives around the globe. And, And I think young people at the moment are very quite understandably questioning kind of political leaders in response to this and kind of finding they've got this this passion inside them and maybe not quite sure what to do with it is that kind of leading is that adding to that eco-anxiety um and I think given that children are being exposed to kind of these messages and these stories in lots of different ways um they're, they're obviously fully aware that climate issues obviously are often being neglected by older generations and it becomes kind of quite problematic to them. And obviously, as you said, this climate anxiety, eco-anxiety is is a really growing phenomenon. Um, But schools clearly do play um, a role in the way that young people manage their feelings um, and their fears about these environmental issues. Um, And I think that's where schools absolutely play a role in kind of making sure that they're giving really kind of clear perspectives of these issues. If if children are only picking these stories or viewpoints up from kind of social media or news outlets, they're going to be biased in terms of potentially the way that they are um, presented. And actually, they really need to ensure we need to ensure that they're being equipped with the right knowledge. Um, that they need to in order to really understand the facts and potential measures um, and address those specific issues. We need them to feel like they have got the information they need to make really rational um, actions, can take actions that are going to help the world around them, uh, but also kind of being a bit more clued up on that emotional support from kind of what already exists. Um, In terms of what we need to do more of, I think there needs to be more opportunities to build connections to the natural world. 
Um, I absolutely understand that there's often barriers to that in schools, depending on where schools are located and what access they have to those green spaces. But there are so many um, really creative ways in which you can kind of bring that kind of, you can bring nature into the classroom um, because that connection to the natural world certainly helps form that foundation, that stewardship, that kind of ethos, taking care of something um, and that kind of, that can channel lots of young people's energy. Um, obviously, empowering through that knowledge and solutions on a local level, um, helping young people to explore the impact of kind of climate change, environmental issues on that, that local level is really important. Getting them involved in kind of local action, and schools can really help do that. Um, again, kind of simple, but focusing on, I guess, action rather than fear. Um, showing young people demonstrating in schools very much can really help um, show what, what action can they take collectively, what action can young people take individually, um, um, that we want people obviously to be empowered and that's where a lot of our programmes really kind of build that up. It's not just the knowledge, it's then, okay, well, here are the tools, here are the ways in which you can help um, the environment and nature around you and then and then obviously there's that kind of investing in, in mental health um, that, that schools will need to to help support with and just making sure that there's the right channels for young people to to, to kind of grow their their passion because there are a lot of young people with some very powerful voices um, and it's just making sure that that's channeled um, in a really productive way and it's um, and they get to say their piece is there anything you'd like to add on this point, kind of thinking about how we can empower young people um, in terms of looking at the environment rather than making them feel powerless? I think Nick's been pretty exhaustive, but I think the crucial things to emphasise are, yeah, about communicating um, this sense of uh, agency to, to, to young people. And a lot of that has got to come through uh, orienting uh, education around solutions uh, one of the things we saw in the literature uh, when we were doing the desk-based research for Chester Zoo was that um, uh, we read one systematic review of effective uh, nature education and found that one of the best ways of achieving this was to build partnerships between schools and uh, local community groups, for example, uh, allotments uh, or other kind of local conservation projects, but also with uh, scientists who are working locally as well, so particularly in um, communities that are situated uh, very nearby or relatively nearby to a university. So thinking about my earlier remarks about early initial teacher training and um, early career preparation for conservation education, that seems to be one thing that needs to be included in that kind of uh, instruction is support uh, with how to build those kinds of partnerships because frequently schools don't actually have a lot of the resources uh, necessary to deliver conservation projects on site. If you think about uh, an inner city school in London, um, they may not necessarily actually have much green outdoor space whatsoever, if any at all. If you think about a lot of newly built schools, uh, they frequently haven't had that stuff established just yet. So being able to establish those partnerships with local groups uh, and having the resource and support and uh, intelligence to know how to do it seems to be really crucial to that. Um, I would just add that um, th 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 there is an interesting tension here, right? Because on the one hand, you don't want young people to feel, you know, paralyzed or catatonic with kind of uh, anxiety about, uh, you know, the uh, about impending ecological disaster. But equally, it is also the sort of thing that it's 
totally uh, rational to be anxious about, right? Like it's a, you know, a very critical existential threat facing our planet. And there is, uh, you know, one of, one of the kind of strands in a lot of messaging uh, about uh, conservation climate change has always been to try and, you know, de-escalate those fears by um, kind of pretending that they are, uh, you know, less critical or less real than they actually are. And we want to make sure that teachers very kind of, you know, authentic and genuine and well-meaning desire for their students to not be anxious doesn't result in them miscommunicating the facts or the, you know, uh, the, the very real dangers posed by this crisis. I think uh, managing that tension and navigating the traffic back and forth between those positions is going to be a really crucial part of this debate moving forward. Yeah, it's really a rock and a hard place, isn't it? It's like you want to give young people the right information and the correct information, but you also don't want to make them feel scared. It's quite a hard line to toe. Um, so at CFEY, we're quite obviously keen to do more work in this area. Um, thinking kind of what's next, what would you like to see in terms of research in this space? Uh, I think I, th I think there is something really interesting and important about uh, the relationship between uh, migration, uh, mental health, and climate change. Um, I remember reading when there was the uh, the large wave of um, uh, refugees and, uh, and migrants coming into Europe around like 2016. Uh, I remember reading uh, uh, some research in Nature about how so many uh, migrants who are arriving. Uh, off boats in Europe were, you know, uh, testing positive for like quite severe, like psychiatric issues, like not just mood disorders, like, you know, anxiety and depression and that kind of thing, but also, you know, kinds of psychosis, like, you know, very serious mental health conditions. Um, I think uh, one estimate in the paper was that it was pretty much 50% who arriving had some kind of like fairly severe clinical mental health need. Um, and there's some level of traceability from previous research to like the, tra the trauma frequently associated with the migration experience itself. Um, and one of the kind of like inevitable consequences of um, despeciation and climate change is that there are going to be there's going to be a lot of migration, right? Like in the next half century, there's going to be a lot of migration from lower income countries, for example, Bangladesh, which are going to be, you know, uh, in the vanguard of suffering the consequences of climate change and despeciation. So we're gonna have a lot of migration between countries, particularly to high income countries in the uh, in Northwestern Europe. And I think it's important to think about how that is gonna affect uh, mental, the mental health of a lot of those migrants and the potential demands that's gonna place on um, uh, health support systems here. And by consequence, like what's the kind of like prophylactic we can put in place before that uh, in terms of mental health support uh, from a global health perspective in lower income countries before then. So I think that's kind of one of the areas that I think is really interesting there. And I think there's been, uh, as far as I'm aware, at least like not very much research. Yeah, I mean, it's a topic I haven't really thought of. And I don't know if I've seen much research on, but it definitely seems like a very timely um, piece of research that possibly we could do next. Um, before we finish the episode of this podcast, um, would you like to round off by saying anything? Is there anything you haven't had a chance to say that you'd like to now? Just that it's been really great to, to, to work on this project with Chester Zoo. Um, you know, clearly this is a really, uh, you know, important, surely possibly the issue of our time and to uh, get the opportunity to work with one of the main kind of 
sites of conservation education in the UK in terms of figuring out how to advance this agenda. Um, yeah, it's been a real it's been a real pleasure, and um, we're looking forward to more opportunities to do similar work like this in the future. Absolutely. Um, and hopefully we do get to do more of this. So I get to go to a zoo at some point. Um, <laughs> crossed quite selfishly of me. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me today. Um, it's been a great discussion. Thanks, Vanessa. Speak Thank soon. You. Bye. We love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, then there are a few things that you can do. One, subscribe. Hit the subscribe button in iTunes or wherever you are listening. Two, share. Share this episode with someone you know who will find it interesting. Three, review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also, feel free to contact us via the links in the show notes. Thanks a lot.